It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I am being joined today by Jacqueline Newman. Jacqueline Newman is the managing partner of the divorce law firm Berkman Bacher. Hopefully I got that right. Newman and Shine? Yep. Oh, <laughs> in the great state of New York and in the great city of New York as well. Uh, she specializes in complex, high net worth matrimonial cases and also in negotiating prenuptial agreements. Jacqueline Newman, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. All right, I got to ask you because we've been talking a little bit before the show started, and you seem to be a very cheerful person. You have this great smile, and yet you're in this probably one of the most emotional types of law practice. I mean, this is like you hear about these cases that are so dirty and so complex. How have you been able to maintain such? <laughs> A positive outlook. <laughs> you know, the way I look at it is that people have come to me and they're in a very bad situation, an unhealthy marriage. And I like to think that I help, you know, people get through that and then be in a situation where they can enter into new relationships that are healthier and make them happier. Sure. I like that. I like that. And interestingly enough, you have uh, this great book out called The New Rules of Divorce. Um, and uh, it's exactly about that. The New Rules of Divorce is uh let's see let me, let me get the whole thing here the new rules of divorce 12 secrets to protecting your wealth your health and your happiness because we all know that sometimes divorce will zap your wealth your health and your happiness it, it's like i said it's a very emotional um type of transaction it's you know and, and you you see these things you see these people who will use their kids as um tools in the divorce so it can get very very complex. Yes, it can. No, it can definitely get ugly, but we do our best to try to keep it from doing so. But, you know, sometimes it happens. Sure, sure. All right. So so let, let's dive into this. From your perspective, your years of experience, what is the biggest mistake you see clients make? So the number one biggest mistake, and this is going to sound, you know, simplistic, is that they really allow their emotions to dictate. And so obviously, as you've been saying, and it's true, it's, you know, it's a very emotional time. It's hard. I'm not going to pretend any of it is easy. That said, when people come to me and they say, I want blood or I want you to, you know, serve his, you know, whatever up on a platter, whatever it might be, you know, my thing with that is that, okay, like I can do that. I said, but, you know, do you want to pay for your kid's college or mine? Because at the end of the day... It's very true. At the end of the day, divorce, revenge, all of that is very, very expensive. Principles are very, very expensive emotionally and financially. And so I really think that if people could basically kind of keep the perspective of the fact that you do need to move forward this, with this, you don't want to pay your attorneys a lot of money, and you want to get out of this as unscathed as possible. So keeping your emotions in check is the number one thing that people do when they're getting divorced, and it's the biggest mistake they can do. Sure. And, and I think... Uh, you know, that that is, I think, a great piece of advice for any kind of litigation you're in, because, uh, I, you know, like you said, uh, revenge costs money. Uh, principles cost money. And not that you shouldn't have principles and morals, yeah. but, you know, after a while, what's you know, what's the uh, 
what's the cost? I was just reading an article where this gentleman, um, uh, he was uh, arrested on, uh, on a rape charge, which he did not commit. And he never, you know, he never wavered from that story that he, he you got the wrong guy. And they offered him like a two year sentence. And he says, no, and he wasn't going to, I think he was just going to get probation or whatever, you know, anyway, they offered him a two year sentence. Uh, he, he said, no, I'm not taking a plea because that means I have to, you know, I have to say I'm guilty. I'm not taking any kind of plea. And he was sentenced to, I think, uh, something like five to 25 years in prison. He did the entire 25, um, Oh, I take that back. So he was sentenced to uh, eight to 28 years in prison. He did 25 years. And then uh, through, uh, I think, one of the organizations there in New York, uh, the, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, Innocence Project, found the DNA and proved that he, in fact, was not the, the, uh, the rapist. And he spent a total of 25 years in prison. Some people would say, hey, it wasn't worth it. On the other on the other side, because society has changed so much, you know, he's, you know, uh, so you got to anyway, I'm, again, principles cost a lot of money. Are you willing to spend 25 years or 25,000 or 250,000, whatever the cost is to uh, to get revenge and to, right. you know, to be superior, morally superior. Right. 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 Well, that's a terrible story. And yeah, no, I mean, in divorce. It doesn't happen to those usual extremes, but conceptually speaking, yeah, I mean, people, you know, and also things change. I mean, they come to us and they're, you know, they're in the thick of it. And so usually at that point, they're so incredibly heated. They're so emotional. They think their lives are never going to be the same again. And they just can't see, you know, the forest from the trees. They can't be able to see, you know, out in the future. And one of my jobs as the attorney and something I talk a lot about in the book is that you really need to be able to have Anyway, little technical glitch there. We lost Jacqueline, and uh, that's one of the uh, great things about technology. Technology, like marriage, it's great until it's not. So hopefully she'll be able to uh, make it back. So uh, she is uh, uh, she's calling from her office, and they've upgraded the internet and some of their computers, and all having all sorts of issues with that. So uh, hopefully today's interview will provide you with some sound advice as well as some strategies. And Jacqueline is back. Yay. Well, that's okay. Where did he go? <laughs> as I was telling the audience, you know, technology like marriage is good right. until it's not. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's going to be the theme for this. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, so, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those amazing things, uh, you know, and like you said, uh, things change, people get perspective. I do want to, I do want to read this, uh, this, uh, endorsement, I guess, by, uh, actor Alec Baldwin. Um, you can waste vast amounts of money by hiring the wrong lawyer while engaging in a high conflict divorce. Newman shows people the playbook and provides real tactics for breaking up in a more humane fashion. Again, by Alec Baldwin, actor, producer, New York Times bestselling author. I think that says quite a bit 
that Alec is willing to give you a thumbs up and say, man, Newman is the person to go to. That's, that's kind of nice. So I wanted to, you know, again, plug the book and, 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 uh, and that endorsement there because that says a lot. It does. No, it was very, very generous of Mr. Baldwin. And, you know, I think there is that that is what I'm looking to do. I'm really looking for this book to kind of give that guidepost, uh, that guideline to divorce. Because, you know, again, people are scared when this whole thing starts and they want to be in a position where I want them to read this and then say, OK, now at least I got this. I understand it. And I think that's really the goal of the book for me. And to, again, do it in the most humane way possible. Sure, sure. Um, let me ask you this again. Uh, based on what you've seen, how has divorce changed in the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years? Talk about this. So it's changed a lot. And one of the biggest places it's changed is in the terms of custody. So back in the day, it was basically dads would get every other weekend and Wednesday night dinners. And that was kind of what happened. And now it's just not the same. Now we're in a situation where when fathers come to me and they say, I want 50-50 time with my children, I say, great. And courts are really supportive of this. And so we're now in a situation where there's been this shift and we are now looking at situations that are very, very often joint legal custody, joint physical custody. And I think it's great. And, you know, it's, it can be somewhat disheartening to, you know, some stay at home moms and things like that. But the courts are very much into how are we going to have both parents as involved in these children's lives as possible? So it is an enormous shift that's moved. And, uh, you know, and I think we're now at a position or getting there slowly that if somebody doesn't want 50-50 time, they're going to have to explain why. You know, wow, that's that's amazing. I I, uh, I could not imagine uh, not wanting 50-50 time or, or something like that. Uh, and I certainly would not want to explain to, the, to uh, you know, to a judge why, why I don't want it. Uh, that seems uh, a little selfish there. But I imagine that happens every now and then. I, I imagine some people just, want to like uh, i'm gonna re i'm gonna i'm starting over again i don't want anything to do with anybody for a while and and i imagine that's that's got to be hard on everybody but i imagine it does happen right it does happen i mean more often than not really you're in a situation where sometimes the access schedule can allow it because either somebody travels a lot or they work a lot and so a lot of times what has happened is that you know, I think conceptually, parents both probably want 50-50, even though, you know, look, kids aren't easy. <laughs> let's, not get, let's not joke about that. It's their fault. But um, that said, I think usually there'll be a fight about it because one parent believes that the children should be with them more than the other parent. And so, again, back in the day, it was kind of the moms would generally get custody and the dads would have, you know, more limited time. And now when dads, as I said, want more time, courts are supporting it. And so that's really been a massive, massive shift. Um, you know, and what that and that ties into some of the other shifts that have happened. So as more fathers are becoming more involved, more women are also working. And so that's been also a very large shift. And the fact that, you know, spousal support, which is called alimony or maintenance, that's no longer, you know, you're not looking at lifetime maintenance anymore. You're really watching, you know, every state is different. But in New York, you're watching the shifts in the formulas and you're just seeing that they're really kind of moving toward less money being paid to spousal support because women are working more and fathers are taking more of a, you know, more prime, not necessarily primary, but definitely more involved in the child rearing. Sure. Sure. No, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, and it's good. I'm glad that as fathers we're stepping up, right. Uh, we need to be involved in our, in our kids' lives and it is tough. I mean, you know, having, having, uh, a spouse at home with your kids, 
is tough. And then, of course, when you throw divorce in there or you throw blended families in there, it just takes it up to the next level. Yeah. No, look, none of this is easy. You know, I can like, say that right away. None of it is easy. You know, my job you know, as a divorce attorney and definitely in the book is just to try to make it easier, but definitely not easy. Yeah, I like that. Easier. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk about some of the misconceptions. What are the two biggest misconceptions when it, uh, you know, that people have when it comes to divorce and or divorce attorneys? Right. So I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that people think that affairs are going to make a major difference in the divorce process. And so I have many clients that come to me and they have been taking their private private investigators or they're taking pictures or they have, you know, they take pictures of their texts and all this stuff. And they come to me with this pile of evidence and they say, look, now I'm going to get everything. And I say, no, you're not. (laughs) It's not going to work that way. I'm like, you know, courts really I don't want to say they don't care, but they kind of don't have the luxury to go into everybody's, you know, indiscretions and things like that. The only times that they really matter is when, obviously, if you introduce any, you know, third party to a child, that is very, very bad. Do not do that. Um, And then the thing is, if you're spending excessive amounts of money. So but beyond that, the fact that people feel wronged, you know, again, they want to go into court and they want to have their day in court and get yelled at. And they're very disappointed when that doesn't happen. And again, this is something that costs a lot of money. And so I very often recommend to clients that if you think you want to go in for your revenge on the affair, you're just going to be paying me a lot of money and you're not going to get anything for it. I like, I like how brutally honest you are. It's like, <laughs> we can do that. It's, you're just going to pay, you know, you're just going to pay me a bunch of money. So, uh, and I imagine every now and then you have somebody who says, I don't care how much it costs. I want to, you know, rip them or rip her a new one or whatever. Uh, I imagine that happens every now and then. But, you yes, know, what, I am surprised that, that uh, an affair doesn't, you know, doesn't change the scale any. it just, I guess courts have concluded, you know, humans are humans and they're all, you know, we're all messed up. We're all broken in our, in our different ways. And unless it's something egregious, like I imagine abuse, would abuse yeah. change anything? It depends. I mean, and I can only speak for New York. I mean, right. you know, nobody likes it. It's obviously an awful thing to be engaging in, in a marriage, but it has to be pretty extreme to affect the equal distribution, the way assets are distributed. I mean, the cases that we've seen there be major shifts are when, you know, someone has beaten someone with a barbell in front of the children, when someone's hired a hitman. I mean, pretty, pretty extreme stuff, stuff that movies are made of. That's where it really comes in. Um, But, you know, beyond that, I mean, look, judges are also human, so I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't probably influence them on some level when they hear horrific stories. But you also have to think judges are hearing thousands of stories a day. And so while you think yours is incredibly special, and it is to you, so I don't want to belittle it, you have to realize that judges are hearing everything every day. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, staying out of court is always the best thing to be doing. So you can basically keep all of your private issues private. Um, But, you know, the fact is sometimes it happens. (laughs) Sure, sure. And and that's, I think that, that that's a great thing for people to be aware of because judges do hear it all the time. I mean, again, it's the first time that it's happening to you. It's personal to you, but depending on how long this judge has been on the bench, you know, like you said, unless it's, it's just egregious. I mean, it's just something that shocked the senses. They've heard it all They, you know, they're just going to try to do this as quickly as possible. Let's just split it down the middle. If that's possible, let's do that. And let's, again, I imagine unless there's a really good reason not to, but, yeah, you know, just like 
you know, just like when you go in front of a judge for your speeding ticket or your traffic ticket, <laughs> they've heard it all. You got, you got to come up with something really brilliant, you know, because uh, again, they've, they've been around the block. It's not new to them. I always say shock the conscience and, you know, they have very, very thick skin. <laughs> That's the way you got to think about it. <laughs> um, all right. So who did you write the book for? I mean, is this, is this chuck full of legalese? It, can, can somebody that has no legal experience sit down with this book and kind of be prepared a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, it is written really for people that are feeling like, okay, even if you're not, you know, sure you want to get divorced, even, you know, I start the whole thing talking a lot about maybe you don't want to get divorced and let's talk about what it really looks like, or maybe you're not ready to get divorced. Um, you know, it's one of the things I ask clients when they first walk into my office, are you sure you want to get divorced? And if they pause for even a millisecond, I say, you need to go see a marriage counselor because divorce is financially expensive. It's emotionally expensive and it's very hard to turn back from. So you do not want to go through it unless you are a hundred percent sure. So I talk a lot about that in the book. Really the book is kind of you know, when people come to me and I have an initial consultation, you know, I go through their, obviously their fact pattern, but I give a lot of similar advice, kind of like the 101 on divorce. And so there's a lot of that in here. There's also a lot of psychological issues, um, you know, talking about, you know, self-care, the things that you have to do for yourself during divorce, how you're going to handle your children, all the things that my clients come in and they're all worried about. And so I kind of wanted to address as many of those concerns as possible. I tried to write a heavy topic you know, not in a light way, but, you know, there's definitely jokes being made and, you know, it's, it's as light as it can possibly be for what it is. So sure. hopefully if I say in there, I'm like, I hope you, you know, you might cry a little bit, but hopefully you'll laugh a little bit too. <laughs> uh, now, are you from a uh, uh, New York? Are you a native New Yorker? I am. I am from New York. Where's the accent? I, I, I'm, I'm waiting to hear <laughs> the accent. Where's the water and the, you know, the car, you know, the, the car. <laughs> I practice all the time to get rid of it. <laughs> you know, hey. All right. So uh, one of the things that caught my attention in the book, you talk about that, that women tend to suffer more financial hardship after divorce than the men. Talk about this. Explain this. Okay. So basically, I mean, this is getting better. It definitely used to be worse. It still exists, though. So I'm not going to pretend it doesn't. But more often than not, Women are going to be the ones who have sacrificed their careers on some level, even if they continue working. You know, I always say that, you know, I represent a lot of female CEOs and, you know, they still get a phone call. If their kid's homesick, odds are they're the ones arranging it, whether they're sending the nanny or going themselves. More often than not, that will happen to them than their husbands. So there's always some sort of financial hit. And so what ends up happening, and especially when you have women that aren't working at all, that leave the workforce entirely to ultimately raise the children. And then when they get divorced, as I said, maintenance and spousal support laws are changing. And so you're really in a situation where you can have somebody who's left the workforce for 10, 15 years, and then now, you know, is maybe say 50 years old or something like that, or somewhere in their fifties and the courts say, okay, well, you need to go get a job now. And that's very difficult. I mean, especially as you see technology, as we bring it back to technology again, um, as technology has changed so drastically for somebody who has not been in the workforce in the last 10 years to try to jump into these programs now would be, I mean, incredibly difficult. But again, courts are going to say, well, you're young enough to be working and we're not going to give you lifetime maintenance anymore. So they are really in a situation very often that they cannot support themselves in the same way that they did during the marriage. Yeah, so it sounds to me, uh, this is my opinion, that if you're a stay-at-home mom, which is, you know, it's a very important job, uh, you know, and, and I'm grateful for all the stay-at-home moms, all the stay-at-home parents, 
that maybe you need to, you know, continue with your skill set, maybe take a class or two, do something, uh, not, you know, not anticipating divorce, but maybe anticipating, uh, you know, that sometimes life throws a curveball, right? Because, you know, let's say you don't get divorced, but all of a sudden your spouse passes away for whatever reason, uh, you're going to be in this, you know, almost in the same position where you might have to go out and, and, and you know, and, and make some money. So it might be good to, you know, be ready, start having a side gig, you know, whatever, uh, be prepared, in, you know, on some basis. Am, am I right? I would agree with that. I mean, I always say staying, you know, being a stay-at-home mom is the hardest job in the world, in my opinion. Um, I think it's very, very difficult. But I would agree with you. I think that, you know, and I have a lot of friends that are stay-at-home moms, and we talk a lot about this because even if none of those things happen, you know, your kids do grow up. And then what ends up happening sometimes is that people, you know, they feel a little lost because they really haven't maintained, whether it be a job, whether it be some outside skill set. So it's another thing I do talk about in the book a lot is that, you really want to have some identity that is not tied to somebody else, meaning that you don't want to always be seen as so-and-so's husband or so-and-so's mother. You want to have something that's just you. And whether that be working on, you know, a charity, working in the PTA, working, you know, doing some sort of side gig, you know, being in school, do something that's for you. Because I think that is a really important thing, regardless of divorce. Um, but especially it does shine its face when you is when you are divorced or, if God forbid, you're um, spouse passes, you may have to be, go walk into the workforce and you want to have some skill set that's sharp. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, and again, not to, not to be a, uh, what do you call it? A, a downy, a, a, a Danny downer, but sometimes, you know, maybe you don't get divorced and maybe the husband doesn't die or, or the spouse doesn't die, but maybe they're, they're on, uh, some kind of a chronic illness where they can't work. And again, it's going to change your life. Um, you know, I want to talk about uh, when I was doing the intro, I, I mentioned that you did uh, complex litigation and mediation. And so are you seeing more and more uh, divorces going through the mediation process versus just litigation? Right. So that is another one of the rules that are changing kind of thing is that people do have this impression that they have to see the inside of a courtroom to get divorced. And it's just not the case. I am seeing a lot more. They call it alternative dispute resolutions, which would really be mediation, collaborative law. You know, slowly they're going to stop being alternative because they're really going to be the primary way that people get divorced. I'm seeing a big, big shift in it. You know, with more social media and things like that, people are seeing how difficult and expensive and awful litigation can be. And, you know, look, my firm does a lot of mediation. We do a lot of collaborative law, but we also do do a lot of litigation. And I will say, you know, litigation is the hardest part. It's something you want to avoid if you can, but sometimes you can't, you know, sometimes it's, it has to be done, but I am really, I'm a big advocate of mediation, big advocate of collaborative law. I think that if you can stay out of the court system, you're doing yourself and your children and everybody else a big, a big favor. So if you can stay out of it, you definitely should. And I am seeing a large shift. Yeah. And, and, and for those who've not done uh, mediation, um, to me, I, I like it or alternative dispute. It is much quicker. It's not as formal. Uh, you still, you know, you still have your day in court, but it's really in a much smaller, faster setting because the reality is, and, and, and only somebody that's gone through litigation multiple times realizes that litigation can, and in most cases, at least in my opinion, turns into this, uh, you know, entity that starts taking a life of its own and keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and it's like a money pit. You can throw as much, it will take as much money as you want to throw at it. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's very, very true. And, you know, I say most cases settle. I forgot what the percentage is, but it's it's in the high 90s. And so I say to clients sometimes, like, your case will probably settle. It will settle now or it will settle, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars later and years later and therapy bills and everything else. And you have a choice. Like, you can settle it on either of these times. And, you know, sometimes people aren't ready. And I understand that. And there's a huge emotional process for divorce. But cases settle and they may settle in the courtroom steps. And that means you've just spent all this money having your attorney prep for trial when you never actually get that day in court, as they like to say. So yes, it's, it's, it's kind of more of a, you know, people think it's going to be something so much more than it is. And sometimes you have to go to what I call the preliminary conference, that first court conference to see that it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. And a lot of cases settle after that, because once they get in there and it's not what happens on TV and, you know, they didn't settle it right before the commercial, they realize that now, you know, life is going to be different and people want to settle their cases. Sure, sure. And I think uh, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. A lot of people, you know, for lack of better terms, are victims of what they see on TV and they, and they look at this thing and it's, I don't want to say the word glamorous, but you know, there's this massive outcome, this climatic outcome and, and all these wrongs are corrected and it's seldom anything like that. No, very, very rarely, like, <laughs> like basically never. <laughs> yeah. It's so anticlimactic. It's like, it's just, <laughs> right, then you're just, you just want it done. You don't almost care anymore, you know? And so no. that, that is really the thing. I mean, but people do have these images and they think that their case is going to be different. And, yeah. uh, you know, and then I, I don't blame them because, look, this is their lives. And, and I completely can understand it from their perspective. But it's really my job to kind of take the glamour out of it and kind of give them more of the cold, hard truth, because I don't want to waste anyone's time and money. And it also creates so much animosity between t- you and what will be your soon ex-spouse that, you know, you're going to co-parent with this person, assuming there are children involved. And the last thing you want to do is make this relationship even more horrific than it already is. Like you want to make strides to strengthen it, which is really what I find mediation and collaborative law do, which I think could be really helpful going forward. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're now the second divorce attorney I've spoken to in, in the last, I want to say, 24 months where they uh, very regularly tell their clients, before we start this, go see a counselor. Right. Uh, because sometimes, again, as humans, we, you know, we, we go the emotional route and we want that juggler, juggler vein immediately. And then we don't slow down and think, well, maybe a counselor or some kind of therapy might help us. But I think that that's to me, when I heard that the first time, it kind of shocked me. But that's, you know, one of the things that has changed that there are, you know, many divorce attorneys are incorporating that as one of the steps before pulling the trigger. Absolutely. And even we incorporate them. I mean, I'll speak specifically with my practice, even during divorce. So sometimes we'll bring in what's called a divorce coach, um, especially in the collaborative model, which is a therapist trained in the model. And so basically what they do is they really kind of help facilitate whether it be the parenting issues, whether it be communication between the parties. You know, I always say I'm the most expensive player you're ever going to have. So like, why not use financial neutrals? Why not use divorce coaches? Like use people that are experts that can really help you. I mean, it's it's less, you know, first of all, you're going to get this specialized advice. They went to school for this. Right. And secondly, they're going to be less expensive. So, and again, the end goal is to spend as little money as possible to get as, keep as much in the marital pot and to save the relationship as much as you can for your future. Because again, you want to be able to walk your kid down the aisle. I mean, that's the goal for everyone. And so, but you're not going to be able to do it if you hate each other so much. <laughs> right, right. And, 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 and again, 
if our children are involved, that, that changes the dynamic. I mean, if, again, if there are no children, then you guys can go your separate way and right. theoretically never see each other. But I, that is to me seldom the case. I mean, I, I know, uh, you know, uh, whether kids are involved or not, uh, divorced couples tend to, you know, they have uh, similar friends and they have similar circles and they see each other. And um, the happiest divorced couples I know are people who were able to mend their relationship enough to be friends. Yeah, no, I mean, we call that the social divorce. And there really is a lot to And again, I talk about it in the book, too, in that, you know, it's one of the things people don't think about. They don't think about the friends. And, you know, there was a curb your enthusiasm. I don't know if you watched that, quote, but there was a, you know, when they were getting divorced and, you know, the friends said to Larry, they're like, we chose Cheryl, you know, and I think there's something to be said for it to start over again like that is very, very difficult. And so, again, it's just, as, as you said, another reason for people to try their best, you know, and again, I'm not asking, this is not easy. You know, I don't want to be belittling this to say, oh, just be friends. Like, it's not that easy, but. I think if you choose the right process, I think if you handle it as respectful as possible, at the end of the day, you really are going to be, you're going to receive the best result possible. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, from listening to you, it seems like, you know, we really want to start with that end goal in mind. We want to, you know, we want, we want to save as much money as possible. We want to do this as quickly as possible. We want to be, we want to remain as friendly as possible. And, you know, again, not that it's easy. It's a process. You know, we want to be able to forgive each other. Uh, you know, as quickly as possible. And again, forgiving people is not easy, especially if you're the one who's been betrayed or something like that. Yeah, th that can take years. But again, to have that goal in mind, when you were putting the book together, was there anything that stood out, anything that surprised you uh, as you were putting the data together that kind of stood out? You know, one of the things I did find interesting, so I spoke, a, you know, I talk about the idea about the discrepancy now. So the other thing that's been shifting a lot is you have a lot more women who are out earning their husbands, which is something that didn't happen in the past. And what was very interesting to me in that is that women were less likely to admit that their husbands out earned them. And I found that to be very, very interesting in that they did some sort of study and, you know, the stats are specifically in the book, but they did a study where they compared what people actually admitted that they, they earned and what their spouses earned and then what actually showed up on tax returns. And it was interesting. When interviewed, women were more likely to say that their husband earned more or that they earned less than they actually did and then when it was tested. And I found that to be fascinating. And why do you, say, why do you think they were doing that? So they could theoretically get more money or were they trying to hide? Uh, no, no. It was, a it was a psychological thing. Oh, really? Did not want, yeah, no, this wasn't even in regarding divorce. It was just an interesting study that they showed about how women – as much as women are becoming empowered and they're working more and all these things and there's these gender shifts, they still kind of somewhere in their minds think that men should be the breadwinners and are almost embarrassed when they're out earning their husbands, whether they think that makes their husband less manly or whatever it might be. And it was just, it was very, when I saw that data, I found that to be fascinating because I do, you know, granted I'm in New York City and we do work in the high net worth space and I have lots of very powerful women I represent as well as powerful men. But I found it really interesting because the women I know would be very, very happy to announce how much more money they make. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, uh, I am very comfortable uh, here, close to being 60 years old. I'm very comfortable. If all of a sudden my wife out-earned me, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm ready to be a stay-home you know, dad. And, of course, all my kids are just about grown. And, and so <laughs> then that's much easier. <laughs> it makes it that much easier. I'm, 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 I'm ready to be a kept man, I, you know, just put my <laughs> ego aside and 
let my wife uh, earn, hopefully will earn out earn me two or three times. I'm okay with that. Uh. Well, there was a comedian that I also quote in the book who says that she's like, the only men who don't like women who out earn their, out earn them are men who don't like free money. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I, I could see guys, uh, there's some guys out there that don't want free money. Their ego will not allow uh, to admit that their spouse makes more money than them. Uh, that's crazy. Uh, all right. So let me ask you this. When let's say there's a red flag um, and I'll give you a, 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 a case. Uh, and interestingly enough, it's, it's a, a couple that I know in New York. Uh, she's a client of mine and her husband locked her out of all the uh, uh, financial accounts. Obviously a big red flag. And he uh, he just said, I wanted to control the money and, and he was obstinate about it. They, they you know, they did try to go into counseling and, and it, you know, and they ended up getting a divorce uh, because he just refused uh, to let go of this control, uh, for lack of better terms. Uh, when somebody sees that there's not going to be any way out other than divorce, what should people start doing? What? What are the do's and don'ts of the preparation? Well, just yeah. to address that, what you're speaking about, that does happen um, quite often, unfortunately. And it's actually, we, we have a name for it. We call it financial abuse. When mm. you're really in a situation where it kind of falls under the umbrella of emotional abuse. But when you have someone that tries to control you from money and keeps you in the financial dark, assuming that you don't, you want to know what's going on. There are a lot of couples that say you handle money, I'll handle other aspects. And that's fine as long as everyone's on the same page. But right. when they're not, it really, it can be conceded as a way of being in an abusive relationship. So that's something that happened. But to answer your question specifically, so when somebody knows that they're going to be getting divorced or is seeing the red flags, things that they can do to sort of prepare, um, you know, one of the things that they can start doing is trying, if they are in the financial dark and not so familiar with the finances, they should really start trying to get as familiar as possible, whether that means, you know, paying attention to tax returns when they come through, seeing when bank statements are show up, take a picture of them, start to kind of start gathering the finances as much as you can. Also, start paying attention to your expenses. So many people don't pay attention to how much money you spend. I admit that I don't always pay attention to how much money I spend. And so, you know, start, you know, take paying a lot of things on credit cards, start really trying to figure out what your budget will be. Because in the event of the divorce, you want to have as much of a financial picture as possible and know what your financial needs are going to be. So it's a really important thing. You know, if you don't, a lot of times people will come to my office and say, I don't know anything about the, any of the finances. And that's fine because we'll figure it all out. But if you can do it in advance, it's one of the really important things to do. Similarly, if you don't have credit, a lot of people don't have credit cards. Mm in their own name. I always recommend to people to go get credit cards in your own name. First of all, you want to start establishing your own credit. But secondly, on the very rare chance that someone tries to financially cut you off, which, you know, if they do, you'll run to court. I mean, it's a very silly thing to do. But sometimes people do it as, you know, to exert power. Sure. And you want to be able to have access to money. So having credit cards is really important. And it's amazing to me how many people don't. So I really recommend that strongly. I recommend that even if you're in a happy marriage, like you should have some credit cards that are your own. Um, again, just even for creating credit. So I think from the financial standpoint, it's really about being as financially aware as possible and securing yourself from a financial standpoint as much as possible. I also would recommend if you think that things are going you know, south, then you should probably see an attorney only to become educated. 
you know, like we call January divorce month because what happens in January is that a lot of people come and they just want to become educated about the process. You know, they obviously don't want to do it during the holidays. You know, no one wants a divorce summons in their stocking. So come January, people come in and they just want consultations. And I think it's such a wise thing to do because very often I'll have somebody who will be complaining about their spouse. But once I start to describe what divorce is going to look like financially and emotionally, a lot of times they're like, you know what? He's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should uh, get a counselor or some therapy. You know, right. maybe. <laughs> so well, I do think that's important. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's, it's one of those uh, human frailties or uh, weaknesses where we think it's, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. Right. And, and, you know, all this other stuff. And, and I think that, uh, you know, if for, for those people who have best friends, uh, out, let's say who's not their spouse, even your best friend sometimes can be a pain in the butt. You know, now you're living with somebody, you know, it's, you know, we take each other for granted, uh, you know, something that wasn't annoying us now is and all this other stuff. And, and I think that the biggest, uh, I think the biggest thing, uh, biggest hurt that we can do to our marriage, not that I'm an expert, is that we don't communicate. We just, you know, and, and I'm going to, and I think both sides do this. Instead of speaking up, we remain silent and we grow bitter. <laughs> yeah. No, you are 100% right. And when people ask me actually what causes divorce, which is a very common question, they're like, oh, is it sex? Is it money? I say, I don't think it's either of those. I think it's a breakdown in communication. And, yeah. you know, when I do mediation, you know, it's so interesting to me because I always think like the parties get married and they're both speaking English. By the time they get to my office, one's speaking Swahili and one's speaking Portuguese. They are no longer communicating in the same language. And it's so fascinating because once I'm able to say, well, well, this is what I heard her saying, or this is what I heard him saying, they're both like, yes. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's really funny because you both said the same thing, but because I said it, now communication is open. And yes. so I think communication and the skill of learning how to fight well are like the keys to any marriage. Um, you know, and obviously if you can fight well, then, which is a skill in itself, yes. uh, you know, then you can ultimately, if you do get divorced, hopefully those skill set will transfer when you're in an X position as well. But I do think, I think communication is the, the number one reason for divorce, just the breakdown in it. And it does happen exactly what you said. I think there are all sorts of rules you can set up. You know, I talk about my husband and I used to have this rule where when we first started, uh, we first started out, we had no money and we were in an apartment that didn't have a dishwasher and I hate doing dishes, hate them. <laughs> And so and my husband, we used to have this deal that if I said that the dishes were piling and, you know, my tolerance for how dirty the dishes could be in the pile was much lower than my husband's. But when I would say, OK, you, you have to do the dishes. He had 12 hours from the time that I said, or I'm sorry, 24 hours from the time that I said it to do it. Now, a lot of times he do it at 23 hours and 59 minutes. But at the end of the day, like he always did it. And that was like our rule. And I could not complain about it for those whole 24 hours. The whole apartment could smell. But I had to be silent because I already said this is the time frame and he had up until then to do it. So I think when you can basically kind of make rules that kind of work within your family, I think and before the resentment starts up, before right. I start cursing him under my breath because the dishes are making me crazy. Like now we had a deal. And so I think that those sort of things are really important in marriage as well. Absolutely. You know what? And, and I'm glad you brought up the fact that it has nothing to do with money or it has nothing to do with sex because we've seen people who have an abundance of money. They have this glorious lifestyle and they're on their third or fourth or fifth, uh, you know, uh, divorce or, 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 or what do you call it? Uh, marriage. Uh, conversely, we see people who are dirt poor and, and they've been in the same relationship, you know, their entire life, um, you know, and, and uh, so 
you know, it, it isn't money. It isn't, uh, you know, it does come down to, I think, communication, like you said, being heard, feeling appreciated, and, and that can be done so easily. Uh, Jacqueline, I want to thank you so much for stopping by. Again, the book is called, uh, let, let me pop it up here, The New Rules of Divorce. Um, and it's, uh, you know, what the subtitle, I love the subtitle, 12 Secrets to Protecting Your Wealth health and happiness, which is so important during the process. Uh, Jacqueline, thank you so much for stopping by. Looking forward to catching up with you again. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.